0: Excellent singing, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7, continuing our series, getting towards the end of our series that we've been in for the whole year on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, and let's start with a word of prayer. God, as we come into this passage, I pray that you'll help us to understand the depth of it, understand the amazing nature of how we can come as believers to you boldly and give you our requests. And you hear us and you answer us and you desire to help us in every situation. Lord, I pray that you'll help us be in tune with your will to understand your way. Be patient with timing that sometimes is not what we think it should, but Lord, you as the one who sees all time from beginning to end, you know what is best. Lord, I pray you'll help us to wait patiently for that. Pray you'll just be with us. Help me as I preach, Lord. Give me your words, not my own. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 7, we'll be there in a moment. Have you ever felt like someone isn't listening to you? Um, I think I say that all the time in my house. Are you listening to me? Are you listening to me? Even my kids. Just kidding. My wife is not. I wasn't including her in that, just seeing if anyone's paying attention. Seeing if anyone's listening. We often hear what is important to us and we miss other things. It is said, actually making fun of, joking around with my wife, it is said that women hear more of a conversation than men. Did you know that? Yes, yes, you all agree with that. Because it is said that men, when they are listening, only use half of their brain. And women use all of their brain. Guys, I don't believe this is true, but this is what science has said. I believe it was a bunch of women scientists that that found that out, but uh, I'm not sure if it's true, but maybe you might think it is. Sometimes we listen, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we feel like others are not listening to us. I heard a story of President Franklin Roosevelt, uh, who said that he, he got tired of when you know, people would come to the, the White House, he would have to stand there and there would be a reception line where people would go through and, and they would greet him and they would keep going. He said, I don't believe anyone actually pays attention to what I'm saying. Now, I find that interesting that the president would think that, that no one listens to what he said. And so he decided one day to try an experiment So as people would pass by him uh, down the line, he would shook their hand, and he would just mumble under his breath something, and he said this to every person that passed by him on one particular reception. He said this, I murdered my grandmother this morning. (laughs) As the guests would go by, and they would smile, and they would greet, he kept saying that to them. I murdered my grandmother this morning. And one after one would go by, and he would hear things like this, marvelous, keep up the good work. Good work. We love what you're doing. You're the best person ever. Said he was amazed that people went by and no one seemed to notice until he got to the end of the line and he greeted the ambassador of Bolivia with the same words. I killed my, I murdered my grandmother this morning. Ambassador of Bolivia heard it and uh, seemed unfazed by it and he leaned in and he said, I'm sure she had it coming. As people, we don't always listen and people don't always listen to us. But here's an important question I have for you this morning. Do you ever feel like God's not listening to you? Do you ever feel like your prayers go unheard? I'm sure if I was to ask you to raise your hand, everyone would raise their hand. The times we feel that way. Do you want a dynamic prayer life? Do you want a prayer life where you know that the the God in heaven not only hears you, but listens and desires to meet your need? I'm sure that most of you would say yes to that. Do we understand what we have available to us in the power of prayer? Matthew chapter 7, he was talking about how we were to respond to others, and then he heads into a section on prayer. Previously in the Sermon on the Mount, he had been talking about prayer, but it was more the functionality of prayer, how we pray. This is not that. This is more the power of prayer and the persistence of prayer. And he says, and you can follow along and I'll read, he says, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it shall be opened. Or which one of you, if the son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? And if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those that ask him? My outline for this morning is really rather simple. There's two parts to it, and then there's a couple things underneath. But really, when we talk about the area of prayer, what I want to talk about first is man's part in prayer. And then secondly, what is God's part in prayer? Man's part in prayer, and then God's part in prayer. As we look at verse 7, some people often think that verse 7 is kind of a blank check. I'm making an offer to God. I'm saying to God, here's my blank check. It's signed. It's delivered. Now all you need to do is unload the bank of heaven... Drop it down here on earth and give me everything that I've asked for. A lot of times that's how that verse is viewed. In fact, people will say, well, the Bible says that if you ask, verse 80 says anyone who asks receives and I'm going to ask and I'm waiting for something to happen. Well, let's hold on for a second. If we were to take all of Scripture and look, what does Scripture say? There, There is many times in Scripture where it does talk about if we ask, we receive. But there's, there's many times in Scripture where it talks about some conditions. So just briefly, I want to give you some of those conditions. Number one, it always is connected with the fact that uh, God answers His children. In other words, God will hear you if you are a child of God. If you're here today and you're not a child of God, when, when you pray uh, and you say, God, I want you to supply my needs... The Scripture tells us he doesn't hear you. He'll hear the prayer of a repentant sinner, but he does not hear the request of a child that is not his own. He's not bound to you. We understand when he says, ask and it shall be given. He's talking uh, here to those who believe in him. Secondly, we see in Scripture that it says that we must be living in obedience. Peter said when he was talking about uh, about the relationship between hun- husband and wife, he said, uh, make sure that things are right so that your prayers are not hindered. We're to live in obedience in what we do, and, and that's important that we remember. Oh, here, we have got to catch up. And he says also in John, he says, and whatever you ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments. In Scripture, we see that connection that God will give us what we ask, God will do what we uh, uh, want as long as we're living in obedience to his commandments. When we're doing those things, he, he listens. When we're not doing those things, we're not obeying, He doesn't hear us. Not only that, we're told to have right motivation in how we ask. In James, he says this, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. I think many times we, we go to God and we say, God, why aren't you answering me? And God is saying, because you're asking for the wrong motives. You're asking uh, for your own selfish desires. When you're, when you're asking those ways, God is saying you're only asking because this is what you want. And that's okay. But it's not my will. And that's the, the last one is finally we have to submit to the will of God when we pray. In John, 1 John he says this, and this is the confidence that we have towards him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So when we come to this passage, we have to understand it's not a blank check. It's not, hey, if I, if I pray, God's got to answer. He's bound to it. No, it's, it's if the conditions are right, if you're His child, if you're an obedient child, if you're an unselfish child, if you ask according to His will, and then He tells us He will hear us. We look in this passage and it gives us three elements. Verse 7, He says, "Ask." seek and find what's interesting is in those in, in the the greek those are what are called present and present imperatives in other words it's not just ask once okay? and probably as parents you've had this before your child comes and says can we do this and you say no and they come back a few minutes later can we do this and you say no they come back a few minutes later can we do this And you go okay can you stop asking but really that's the language that's used here it says, it says, Jesus is saying to us, he says, you know, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Don't stop what you're doing. So there's, there's an intensity to this. We often come to God when something bad has happened, but then we stop praying when things go well. These verses indicate that it should be continual a coming back to God, a constantly coming to God. And so there are three elements that we want to look at this morning. The first one is asking. Jesus tells us to ask, and we look at the progression of it, and he starts with something very simple. He says, ask. I mean, that's pretty simple, isn't it? I mean, it's something that a child does. But uh, uh, oftentimes we don't do it in our own lives. Notice what uh, James, I read James 4, 3 a moment ago. Notice what James 4, 2 says. He says, you desire and do not have. So you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Pretty simple, isn't it? And God tells us we need to come to Him and ask. And He says in this passage, if we ask, it will be given to you. James tells us if we do not ask, we do, will not get. God will not provide for those needs. And so we need to, first of all, ask. Very simple, but it's, there's, there's a little bit more to that. I think that if we realize that asking, though, requires a believer. Asking requires a believer. Asking requires that we believe in what we're asking. Let me look at a verse here. And I don't have time to look at this passage, but this is an interesting passage where Jesus is teaching his disciples. In the process of teaching his disciples, he walks by a fig tree. The fig tree does not have any figs on it. And and so the Bible tells us he curses the fig tree, and then they walk away. And they come by a few hours later, and as they're walking by this fig tree, Peter is the one that notices it. Peter looks and he says, Wait a second, wasn't this the tree you cursed? It's dead. Kind of, you know. Wow, it it actually worked. And he says, start talking about it, and Jesus responds with these verses. He says, Have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that, that uh, what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. He's saying here that the first thing is, is that as we ask, we have to ask with the idea it's going to take place. You ever pray and literally in your mind as you're praying, you're like, there is no way this is going to happen. he's saying we have to ask and believe. Faith is such an important part of our relationship with God. Faith is needed in salvation. In John it says this, But to all who did receive, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to be called the children of God. He gave them the right to be called the children of God. Many of you, you understand that faith is what's required for salvation. And it's an intense thing that you come to a point in your life when you realize that you are destined for hell. You're destined for life without Christ and an eternity of punishment. And yet, because of what Jesus Christ did, you come to Him in faith and believe. And yet, you lack faith in every other aspect of your life. We said a few weeks ago that many of us uh, um, you know, Scripture tells us that on earth we will, we will live 80 years if we're fortunate. God offers that to us. A few weeks ago we talked about how life is short and how we should spend our life consumed with seeking God. You remember the illustration I gave that if we were to make our 80 years an inch and then talk about the length of this auditorium would be thousands of years, but that nothing in compared, ca- comparison to eternity. And many of us in our faith, we believe, we believe that God has saved us and we trust God with our eternity. We trust God that, you know, thousands and millions and however long God uh, eternity is, which is forever and ever, we trust that God has saved us and we trust in God for our salvation. Yet we don't trust in God for this one inch, for the 80 years God has placed us on earth. We trust in God for our eternity, yet some reason we leave faith behind when it comes to asking for a sick relative or asking that God will overcome the struggle you're having in your life. We often leave faith after salvation. We have faith that God will give us eternal life, but sometimes we lack the faith for our daily pains and our daily needs. Asking requires a confidence that the one you are asking can actually deliver on the request. Let me give you an illustration. If my wife was to come to me and say, can you take out the trash? Now, there's a good possibility I might forget. But my wife actually has the confidence, this might shock some of you, my wife has the confidence that I actually have the ability to do it. Right? I mean, she doesn't come to me and say, can you take out the trash? And she's sitting there going... But I don't really think you can. Like, I don't think you have the ability to lift up the bag, take it out, and put it in the trash can. I don't think you can do that. No, she doesn't. But, but you know what? My wife would be rightfully lacking in confidence if she was to come to me and say, you know, what? I've decided I want a new house. Can you build me a new one? She would rightfully lack that confidence because uh, I have zero uh, building ability, okay? Uh, my walls would be crooked, Um, if I actually got walls that stood, I mean, that would just be really bad. Why? Because she doesn't have the confidence. But you know, when we go to prayer in God, we have to be confident that God is capable of answering. We must believe that God is capable of answering the quest we are asking, as long as we're asking according to His will. The God who's in heaven, who is is all powerful. I mean, on, on Wednesday nights, as adults in my Bible study, we've been talking about who God is, and we talk about God being all powerful. That means there is nothing outside of His cope of ability. That means that God, in His power, can do anything He desires. And yet we say, "Well, you know, I'm not sure if God can heal me, or I'm not sure if God can give me the strength to talk to my neighbor about Him." We have to part of asking is is believe, is believing. And asking requires a believer. When my kids come to me and say dad I need this, they have every intense belief that I can answer their need. And we need to have the same. But also asking requires a giver. Look if you will we're in Matthew chapter 7. Look at Matthew chapter 6. We'll look at this verse again later, but Matthew chapter six and verse eight, it says, "Do not be like them." we we talked about this passage earlier as a lead up to the Lord's Prayer. He says, uh, you know, praying in a way that is drawing attention to yourself. He says, "Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him." You know, we have to believe, we have to ask, knowing not only that God can do it, but God knows exactly what we need. The question is, who are you asking? Who are you asking? Sometimes we ask the impossible and we think it's impossible. And that's the kind of attitude that Jesus addresses over and over and over again with his disciples. You know what's amazing? Take your Bible and study the Gospels. Study how many times Jesus said to his disciples, Peter's one, he said it to a number of times, but his disciples as a whole, where he said to them, oh, you have little faith. You know what you'll find when you study that? That almost every single time when Jesus says, oh, you of little faith, it's things that are actually really impossible to think that they would take place. You say, what do you mean? When the disciples came back from traveling and, and, and proclaiming Christ, they came to Christ and they said, we tried to do things, we tried to cast out demons, and we tried to do this, but we couldn't get it done. And Christ looks at them and says, you of little faith. Is there anyone here that can do that? No. When Jesus uh, is walking on water and Peter comes walking to him and he falls into the water because of the intensity of the situation, Jesus looks at Peter and says, Oh, you of little faith. I think any single one of us in the same situation would have the same lack of faith. What is Jesus saying to them? He's saying you need to have faith in the one who can do the impossible. That's why Scripture says that with man, things are impossible. With God, all things are possible. Do you have a belief in the one who is capable of giving you anything? Who is capable of supplying your need? Who is capable of getting you out of that horrible storm in your life? Do you actually believe that the giver is worthy of your prayer? He says to them, we're to ask. But the second one, we are to seek. He says we're to seek, and to seek is a stronger than asking. It involves personal involvement. We often think this, if I just pray and then I'll sit around and wait for God to do something. But seeking is intense. Seeking is a pursuing. It indicates uh, seeking for a thing of value that we've lost. It indicates the idea of pursuing after something, maybe a precious jewel that we've lost, and you don't look and just kind of go, oh, oh, okay, I missed it, and turn around and walk away. You look intensely. You pursue. You seek by prayer. In Daniel, it says this. um, He says, Then I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting, and sackcloth and ashes. here. Daniel, when he's talking about his praying, it says it was so intense that it wasn't just a, a get down and pray and then get up and leave. It was a constant pursuing after God. Jeremiah, words in another way, says, then will you call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Who does it say is saying this? God we say sometimes, you know, I, I've pursued God and, and he's just not there. And he says, keep coming after me. And you know what? If you come after me with everything that you have, then, then you will find me. You know, a lot of times we think, you, maybe you've said this to yourself. You said, you know, I've pursued God and he's not there. I've prayed and I'm not feeling the presence of God. I've asked God and I'm just not feeling like he's giving me an answer. You know what he's telling us in this passage? You have not pursued him with all your heart. Because do you believe the promises of God when He says, if I seek Him with all my heart, I'll find Him. When I seek Him with all my heart. When we seek, we find Him. When we ask, we simply wait. When we seek, we pursue. Are you pursuing God? Are you pursuing an answer for God? This is a seeking God with an earnestness. And then he comes to the last one, and that is a knocking a story is told of a fisherman who was out of fellowship with God. And he was out at sea one day with his godless companions and, and a storm came up and was threatening to st- sink their ship. His friends knew that at one time he had gone to church and at one time he claimed to be a Christian and so they began begging him, pray. And he, he says, I, I can't pray. It's been so long since I've been in church. I don't know what to say. And they, they insisted, please pray. And finally, uh, he cried out to God and he said this, and this is the indication of many of us This is the way that many of us pray at times. And he said this, Oh Lord, I haven't asked anything of you in 15 years. And if you help me now and you bring us to safety, I promise I won't bother you again for another 15 years. And really, although this story makes us laugh, it's sombering to think that prayer is often just simply an escape mechanism rather than a way of life and i believe this is true even for many believers who call on god only when they've reached the end of their rope instead of as a way of life knocking is is uh, brings even more intensity to the situation seeking and knocking imply something more than just asking it's persistence in ephesians he tells us this he says Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keeping alert with all perseverance. Take your Bible if you will. We'll come back to Matthew. But I want you to look at Luke for a moment. Luke chapter 18. I don't have the verses on the screen so you can follow along as I read. Luke chapter 18, verse 1, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not to lose heart. And he said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversaries. For a while he refused. But afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat down my door by her continual coming. The Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to the elect who cried to Him day and night? Will He delay long over them? I tell you, He will give justice to them speedy. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? What is He saying in this passage? It's the same thing that He's saying in, in, back in Matthew chapter 7. He's saying, uh, pursue God. Pursue God. Come after Him. There's a sense in which we are really involved in our prayer when we begin not only just asking, but seeking. And then we knock at His door. We come to Him. Why? Why does God want us to persevere? Why does God want us to persist? Some say, why doesn't God just answer my prayer right now? Why doesn't He just answer my prayer the first time I asked? And it's really rather simple. Because God, it's not because we have to bang at God's door. It's not only because God's up in heaven and he's, and he's sitting there and, he's, and all of a sudden he hears a really loud banging and goes, oh, someone wants me. It's not that God doesn't hear us prior to that, but it's because the more we're involved in the process, the greater the relationship becomes. The deeper, the richer, the more meaningful my relationship becomes with God. God doesn't want us just to carry in our pocket a a book that's kind of the, the answer. And we read this and suddenly our problem is solved. You know what God wants? God wants an intense relationship. God wants a relationship that's not just an asking, but it's a pounding down the door. And you know what happens when we begin to do that? God hears us. You know what I find is interesting is that in Scripture it says that God stands at our door and knocks. And He knocks and He knocks and He knocks and, and it says, let Him in. But then it flips it here and He says, you know that we need to be now knocking down God's door. Do you have that type of prayer life? I think for many of us, our prayer life consists of before, before a meal, maybe a few minutes at bed. When Pastor Nate tells us to pray as individuals, that's the first time you've prayed in a week, other than meals. That's not, that's not what he's talking about here. He's saying, knock down the door. It's a pursuit after God. And he tells us there that in that passage that there needs to be an intensity to it. So what is our part? Our part is, is really a, a part of desperation. A part of desperation, if someone comes and asks for something, you know, that's, that's because they need it. But when someone comes and, just, and seeks and pounds down the door, it's because they have nowhere else to turn. I think we've become so comfortable with life that we don't think we need that. Let's move on to the second thing. What is God's part in prayer? God's part in prayer. We see, uh, I want to give you three aspects of this of God's part in prayer. If you could move the slide presentation to the next one. Thank you. And then one more. (laughs) God's part in prayer. Look, if you will, in Matthew chapter 7, in verse 7, uh, he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened unto you. For whoever uh, asks, receives, and whoever seeks, finds. And to whom who knocks, it will be opened. God tells us that if we ask, he will give an answer. In verse 7, he already said that. He said, If you ask, you will receive, but uh, there's, there's an intensity to the next verse. Verse 8 kind of ramps it up a little bit in two ways, and I want to look at that. First one he says, uh, he, he tells us there, in the first one he says, ask. I want you to picture for a moment being there on that day. And Jesus is speaking to a crowd, and uh, a crowd of people are gathered around, and he's saying to them, ask. And it's as if maybe at that moment he's pointing to someone. he looks down to someone in the front, and he says, if you ask, God will give it to you. But then he continues on. I don't know what uh, cell phone commercial it is. There's a, there's a cell phone commercial where uh, a person comes in, they're talking to the salesperson, and, and they said, uh, I want this certain deal. And, and the salesperson says, okay, we'll give you that deal. And, and the person uh, says basically, okay, shh, I won't tell anyone you gave me this special deal. And the, the salesperson says, we give the deal to everyone. That's kind of the idea here. They're, you know, they're sitting around, and Jesus looks at him and says, hey, if you ask... God will give it to you. And then he looks and he goes, but really, in the next verse he says, anyone who asks. Anyone who asks. It's as if Jesus is saying, not only you my disciples, not only you my followers shall receive what you pray for, but everyone who asks receives. Whether they're Jew or Gentile, whether they're old or young, whether they're rich or poor, whether they're high or low, whether they're masters or servants, whether they're learned or unlearned, they're all alike welcome to the throne of God. And if they come in faith, God will hear them. It doesn't matter. You know, sometimes we have this lofty view that God hears us uh, because we're better than others. God hears us because we're His child. And anyone can come. But I want you to notice something else about the difference between these two verses. You look at verse seven, it says, "Ask and it will be given to you." Verse eight, he changes it, and he, the fulfillment of the promise is said in verse seven in a future tense, but in verse eight, it's a present tense. Why the difference? If you notice in verse eight, he says, "Everyone who asks receives." That's a present tense word saying it'll happen now." Matthew Henry said it this way. He says, "So sure are the promises of God." that they do, in effect, give present possession. Isn't that an amazing thought? That even though it's something that maybe God is promising in the future, He's saying that you can take, uh, you can take, take it so seriously that you can take uh, present possession of it now. He goes on, Matthew Henry goes on, he says an active believer enters immediately and makes the blessings promised his own now. What we have in hope in the future, according to the promise, is as sure and as sweet as if we had it in our hand right now. Let me give you an example of that. If someone was to come up to you and say, can I borrow $20? You say, okay, and they say, but I, I promise, I promise I'll give it back. Okay, now you might trust the person, but there's always a little bit of a question whether they will or they won't, right? So you don't go out and say, okay, it's only $20, but you don't go out and say, okay, based on that $20, I'm going to go and spend that $20 because I know it's coming. But what he's saying is, what we see in this passage, he's saying there's an intensity to this that, that you ask and you can already pretty much possess it. And so it's, it's almost as if it's a guarantee from God that's so sure, it's as the saying goes, you can take it to the bank." There's a surety to it. Notice what he says in, uh, what it says in Matthew chapter 21. He says, "Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive. if you have faith." There's an overwhelming number of times in Scripture that confirms that God will answer our prayers. There's an overwhelming number of times in Scripture we see that if we ask, God will give. But do we ask? God's perspective is that He promises to answer. He promises to answer. But God's perspective is that He will give. Look back, if you will, again in Matthew chapter 7. He then illustrates the surety of the promise. He says, he makes a promise. He says, I promise you that if you ask, it will be given to you. But he, he, he then gives an illustration of this. Look, if you will, at verse 9. He says, or which of you, if a son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? It's, it's kind of an illustration of, hey, if your son comes to you and wants something, do you mock him and give him something completely different that he doesn't want and he has no use for It's natural for kids to run to their father and their mother when they need something. It's natural for kids to feel gravitated towards their parents because they know that this is a safe zone where their parents are going to supply their needs. I can say this because my son's not in here. Uh, Most services, as you know, I stand in the back and I greet people that come by except for those of you that are in the balcony and hide, and I don't get a chance to see you. But you can come down here sometime if you want. But uh, as I stand there, I greet people, and many of you have probably seen after almost every single service, my son will run to see me. In the process, he knock, knocks people over half the time, and we're working on that, trying to teach him that's not what you're supposed to do. But, uh, or he'll interrupt, but we're working on that as well. But why does he do that? Does he come running to me because he desperately needs to see the pastor? No, he comes running to me because he wants to see his dad. And in this passage, we have to understand that God's perspective in this is he is saying, come to me as as your heavenly Father. We must come to God as children to a Father in heaven with reverence and confidence. How naturally does a child in want or distress run to his father with all of his complaints? We need to understand that. That just as a father will hear and answer the needs of their kids, so will God. James chapter 1 and verse 5, talking about the area of wisdom, he says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all. I'm specifically talking about wisdom, but the idea there is God is saying He's not going to hold back He's not going to say, no, I don't want to give that. I would say probably all of you in here that are parents or have been parents uh, um, and have had kids living in your home understand the idea that, in in a sense, every one of us uh, does really want to spoil our kids. We don't because we know it's not what's best for them. But God in heaven says, I want to meet your needs. I want to supply because I love you. And I care for you. John Newton, who was the writer of Amazing Grace, gave testimony of the fact that many, many times he he received unbelievable answers to prayers. Prayers that seemed impossible. He used to call them his large asking prayers. In support of this practice of asking God for these, he would frequently tell the story of a man who asked Alexander the Great. He went to Alexander the Great and he asked him for a large sum of money in exchange for his daughter's hand in marriage. Alexander the Great consented and told him the, uh, to request of his treasurer whatever he wanted. He said, "Go down to my treasure, and whatever you want, my treasure will give to you." The keeper of the funds was startled by this request and, and said, "I can't give you that without direct command from the king." So he goes to him and he says to the treasurer, says to Alexander, he says, "That's way too much. Even a small fraction of the money requested would be more than enough to serve the purpose. Alexander responded this way. He said, no, let him have all that he asks. I like that fellow. He does me honor. He treats me like a king, and he proves by what he asks that he believes me to be both rich and generous. And John Newton would continue by saying this. He would conclude by the story by saying this. In the same way, we should go to the throne of God's grace and present petitions that express an honorable view of the love, the riches, and the bounty of our king. God gives graciously to those who love Him, because we are His own, and He cares for us and The last thing I want to notice is god's purpose is for our best. Look if you will at Matthew chapter seven and verse eleven. He says, "If you then, who are evil, know how to give good, good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven give?" good things to those who ask him. We don't always get what we want or get what we ask for because it's not what's best. Again, back to the parallel of a a father. You know, if your child comes to you and says, Mom, today I was wondering if I could eat nothing but candy. Now, it's not best for them. It's also not best for you. as they're running circles all over the place and you have to stay with them. But you understand that. And what what God is saying is, you know, if you are, as an earthly father, know how to do what's best for your kids, how much more do I, as your heavenly father, know how to do what's best? Again, remember what we read, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 8, where it says, uh, for the father knows what you need before you ask him. God's desire is to meet your needs, but His purpose is for your best. And you come intensely, and you come and you knock at the door of God and say, God, why aren't you meeting my needs? And He's saying, I I know what's best. Be patient. I love you. I care for you. I desire. There's nothing wrong with us pursuing God with requests, but we need to remember that His answer might be different than we expected. There's a story about a university of about the University of Chicago. They received this a number of years ago. They received a million dollar grant from a rich woman. This woman actually was a, a student who had graduated from Northwestern University. So Northwestern University found out about this. And they went to her and they said, wait a second, we found out you gave a million dollars to the University of Chicago and 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 we're your alma mater, why didn't you give us a million dollars? And she looked at them and very simply said this, the people of the University of Chicago asked, you didn't. Seems pretty simple, makes us all want to run out and ask millionaires for money right now, but uh, I don't think that's how it works. But you know, as as believers, oftentimes we, um, we don't ask. Or maybe we ask once and run away. Or maybe we ask, but we don't pursue. Or maybe we ask, but we don't barrel down the door of God and say, God, I need you to help me. Or, maybe we're asking selfishly. We're asking out of our own will and not the will of God. Because if I understand this passage what Jesus is saying is that God desires to answer. And so if the problem is uh, that He's not answering, if you're looking and saying, the very beginning I asked, does it ever feel like God's not listening or responding? The problem is if it's you're saying God's not hearing and answering, the problem is not God. It's us. Maybe we're asking the wrong thing. Maybe we're not pursuing hard enough. But it's us. So we need to ask ourselves what we need to change. Let's pray. God, I pray that you will help us to be people who are so desperate that we know there's nowhere else we can turn but you. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to realize that you are the God of the impossible. And when we we look at areas of our life that seem impossible, we know that you hear us. God, over and over again through your word, I see you tell me that if I ask, you will answer. Yet God, there's so often that in my flesh, in my selfishness, I'm not seeing the answer. Lord, help me to see it from your perspective. Lord, help me to see it from your eyes that you are a powerful, omniscient, holy, perfect God. Lord, I see just this moment in time where I'm living and you see my entire life. You see the intensity of all of creation. Lord, if you desire to answer in a way that I think is right, that's... And that's best for you, and so be it. But Lord, help me to ask according to your will. Help me to ask with a desire for you to answer. Lord, if there's any in here this morning that are struggling, they're hurting, they're at a place in life where they don't think you're answering, Lord, I pray that you'll help them to understand from your perspective again. Help them to seek you, to seek your face. Lord, if there's someone here that have not placed their faith in you, your word tells us that you will not hear them unless they call upon you for salvation. I pray that you will help them to see that need and to do that. Lord, we ask that you are glorified. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.